0: Ryan Gosling is just a good actor though too. He is good. Yeah. He is very good. Yeah.
1: He seems really multifaceted because like you always see him and you're just like, oh, he's just being gonna be like pretty boy or whatever. Yeah. And then like you see him in other stuff and you're just like, wow, he's able to do some really complex and interesting characters on screen. Like he's not uh, he's not someone that you can pigeonhole quite so well.
2: No and he so i was watching an interview with him and he was telling the story of how he like decided to take on the role of ken and he did it because so he has like little daughters at home and greta gerwig had been like trying to get him to do the movie and he walked outside one day and his daughter's ken doll was like face down in a pile of mud outside and he sent greta gerwig a picture and was like i'll do it i'll be ken his story must be told (laughs) Oh my god. <laughs> Which is amazing. <laughs> Welcome to Talking Underwater. One water.
1: One podcast.
2: I am Katie Johns, Editor-in-Chief of Stormwater Solutions
0: and Water Quality Products. I'm Andy Crispin. I'm Editor-in-Chief of Waterworld.
1: And I'm Bob Crosson, Editorial Director for the Endeavor Water Group and Editor-in-Chief of Wastewater Digest.
2: In this month's episode of Talking Underwater, we are briefly going to touch on grant funding through the Sewer Overflow and Stormwater Reuse Municipal Grant Program, talk about a recent study that found that the Colorado River Basin lost more than 40 trillion liters of water, and finally, we are going to talk about the Department of the Interior that is opening three funding opportunities for resilient water supplies. Our interview this month is with Brent Bridges, Senior Principal for Woodard & Curran. Brent touches on all things related to small systems, including trends, challenges, and how AI and future funding may change the landscape of the industry. He also touches on how small systems and stormwater impact each other. But first, let's start with news. So Bob, I'm going to toss it to you.
1: Yeah, so actually the first news item I have kind of runs in line with our interview this month uh, as it is a small sy- related to small systems and stormwater. So there's nearly $50 million in grant funding through the Sewer Overflow and Stormwater Reuse Municipal Grant Program that is now up for grabs. This was announced by the EPA just this past week. States can apply for this grant assistance to fund projects for collection systems to address o- overflows for sanitary sewers for storm sewers or for combined sewers. Of particular note here that the, that is mentioned in the press release as it relates to this funding is the focus on issuing grant assistance at no cost to small and financially distressed communities. This language and intention is in line with the broader scope that we understand of the Bipartisan Infrastructure Law, also known as the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act, or EJA. Additionally, we also have a news item on our webs on our website for wastewater digest about research into waste treated wastewater effluent in Germany. The Goethe Institute of Frankfurt discovered that effluent discharge impacts the composition of the species Near the effluent outfall, the research examined 170 plants in Hesse, Germany, and was published in the journal Water Research. So be sure to check out the content on our website. We have a link to the article on water research as well. So be sure to go check that out and learn a little bit more about that. It's a really interesting concept. And it sounds very, it sounds obvious that the nutrients from an outfall would impact the... the the species but it's really interesting how it impacts different ones differently how there's certain ones that are um, benefit more greatly from the certain nutrients and other ones that benefit not as good and what are what some of the challenges are as it relates to effluent that comes out um, especially when it comes to disinfection byproducts and things like that but anyway I thought it was really fascinating I definitely recommend people if you're interested in learning more about that to go check that out and Katie would you like to Talk a little bit about the American Geophysical Union study.
2: Yeah, thanks. So according to a press release from the American Geophysical Union, a recent study found that the Colorado River Basin lost more than 40 trillion liters, or 10 trillion gallons, of water between 2000 and 2021. This is equal to the entire storage capacity of Lake Mead. The study was published in the AGU journal Water Resources Research, and also stated that, quote, without climate change, the drought in the basin most likely would not have reduced reservoir levels in 2021 to the point requiring supply cuts under the first ever federally declared water shortage, according to the study, end quote. This study expanded on previous research done that included changes in runoff because of carbon dioxide driven shifts in vegetation. And according to the press release, is the first to calculate how much runoff changes per degree of warming based on historical warming in the Colorado River Basin snowpack regions as compared to non-snowpack regions. Um, So I thought it was interesting, especially the point about this amount of water being equal to the entire storage uh, capacity of Lake Mead, which just seems so wild. Um, So we'll keep an eye on that, and I am going to toss it over to Mandy for her news item
0: the department of the interior is opening three funding opportunities for resilient water supplies cooperative watershed management and aquatic ecosystem protection the funds come primarily from the bipartisan infrastructure laws water smart program as well as from the inflation reduction act and annual appropriations in the wake of severe drought conditions throughout the west the department is putting funding from president biden's investing in america agenda to work to develop resilient water supplies, and provide clean wa- flowing waterways for aquatic species that defa- depend on them, said Secretary Deb Halland. The breakdown is up to $55 million available in drought resiliency funding to develop projects that can increase water management flexibility, up to $40 million in bipartisan infrastructure law funding for collaborative watershed projects under the WaterSmart Cooperative Watershed Management Program and $65 million available for projects to restore and protect aquatic ecosystems through a second application period, open until January 24, 2024. Study and design projects are eligible for between $500,000 and $2 million, and construction projects can receive between $3 million and $20 million. The non-federal cost share of at least 35% is required. Applications submitted by the close of the first application period on June 1st, 2023 are currently under review.
2: All right, and now we are going to share our interview with Brent Bridges. Again, he is Senior Principal for Woodard and Coran, and we are talking all things small systems. To get us started, can you kind of tell us what trends you're seeing with small systems and projects right now?
3: I think one of the trends is um, it's um, increasingly important. A lot of uh, communities are finding much more of a need to have on-site wastewater uh, collection and treatment. Um, Mm -hmm. We, you know, we're in the state of Maine, and so clearly we have a lot of wetlands, a lot of ledge, a lot of poor soils, and so it's really hard to site uh, small on-site systems in the state. For the growing and developing areas that we have,
2: yeah, definitely. And you talked about, you know, you're you're in Maine, you're in certain regions. So, what you know are trends that have you seen? Other regions have similar trends, or is it is it totally different across the board? I
3: think it's similar. I think that um, a lot of um, growth and development occurs, and um, the limitations on on uh, putting you know wastewater collection and treatment in is more challenging. Uh, There's less space to work with. Um, The wastewater tends to be getting stronger and stronger, you know, as we go. Mm -hmm. Um, People use less water, that's great, but the strength of the wastewater is also uh, more challenging to treat.
2: And a lot of times, you know, smaller systems have access to less resources than those bigger systems. So can you talk about the challenge in that and, you know, what resources might be available?
3: Sure. So uh, a lot of small systems have, because because it's a small system, you know, a couple of users can have a huge impact on that system, mm-hmm. and so um, that's what makes it more challenging, both from a amount of flow or the loads they place. You know, grease and and those kind of things that enter systems, and so small systems are challenged with being more susceptible based on a particular user or two having a huge impact on their ability to treat, and so we're um, a lot of the Kind of technologies that we're trying to employ are trying to do a really good job of capturing as much in the system you know grease is a big factor in small systems mm-hmm. it can be one of the things that it's hardest to treat and it's uh, you need to collect it to keep it out of your system and so as you see that is probably the biggest uh, issue we're seeing is more and more things are uh, coming down the drain uh that are causing uh, treatment issues and clogging and um and so that's one of the trends. And so we really need to do as much as we can to keep all those elements that make treatment really hard and costly out of our system.
2: Yeah, and how, how can you do that? Are you implementing any practices or communication with residents that that would aid in that?
3: Yes, and uh, two things. I think that there's a making sure there's a lot of practices about what you can flush. I mean, a lot mm-hmm. of, as you know, a lot of you know flushables, things that are supposedly flushable that really aren't, the, right. the drain <laughs> and what they end up doing is they end up you know binding up your pumps or floating in your wastewater or it's really hard to get them out when they get in and so the two really important pieces are keeping things that shouldn't be flushed out of the system and then um, when we're talking about grease and those kind of things is to make sure mm-hmm. that anybody that's producing grease has some sort of a grease trap some sort of way to capture that before it hits the system um, quite honestly, many times, uh, it's, it's very hard to cite, you know, um, a lot of, like an old restaurant, there's no place for them to put a grease trap to capture it. And so right. it ends up being pushed into the system. And so what we need to make sure we're doing with all the components of the system is where can we retrieve the grease as easily as possible? And so incorporating mm-hmm. that into our design.
2: Okay. And this might be, um, maybe a obvious question, but like I said, I'm, I'm on our stormwater side here. Is grease trending as more of an issue or has it always been that way from, from your standpoint?
3: I think it's always been an issue. I mm-hmm. think it tends to be trending upward. And I think there's a, you know, we're doing as a nation, I think really good as far as, like I said, limiting water use. We have a lot of low flow devices. and And so people overall are using less water. But what that means is there's more stuff in the water and grease isn't as diluted. And so grease is still, we're producing the same amount of grease with less water. And so it becomes more of a problem as far as plugging things up and clogging things. And so grease tends to be on the increase as far as what we're seeing. And again, a lot of people just don't have an awareness about when they pour it down the drain, it's, it's warm. And when it gets into the ground, it's not warm anymore. You know and it congeals and clogs things and binds things up
2: yeah absolutely and I know you're saying earlier that there's a lot of things labeled flushable that aren't I feel like every time I go to the grocery store I see a display of flushable wipes and I just want to be like no 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 no, no
3: <laughs> do not flush there's those no <laughs> it's not toilet paper or a tissue it's not flushable
2: right I know it's a very common challenge I feel like for this industry <laughs> And um, how, I know we talked a little bit about lesser resources available for small systems a little bit earlier on, but does funding such as the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act help that and in, in other funding practices? How does that play into small systems?
3: Yeah, so I think right now is a really uh, great opportunity for communities to take advantage of all the funding that's out there, whether it's uh, Clean Water SRF funding that's always been there, the Infrastructure Act, um, there's still some... ARPA money that's floating around that's used for infrastructure. I think the challenge the challenge we're seeing is all that money is very much based towards capital investments. Mm-hmm. And small communities find the challenge of, for instance, um, the community that we're um, that uh, we're working with that only has it's a 25,000 gallon a day system, it's a mm-hmm. part-time operator. All they can afford is someone that comes in and checks it you know every day or so for an hour or so. So there's not a lot of resources to be able to operate the facilities, but there's a lot of funding available to construct facilities. And so that's the, that's a little bit of the challenge we're seeing today.
2: Yeah, definitely. And kind of on a related note, we hear a lot about workforce challenges in the industry and not either there's you know a workforce gap where people just aren't joining this industry or there's just no funding to... To pay those people, do you see similar trends in that way?
3: Absolutely. I think there has been a. uh, I think that um, with with a lot of opportunities that are happening for people in different areas of work, you know, the wastewater industry has probably been a little bit underpaid for the work they're doing, and Mm -hmm. harder to attract. It's not always about pay, but you have to get paid to a certain level in order to attract. And I think the changing. It's not just it's not just you come home greasy every day working in the wastewater business. There's a lot more technology mm-hmm. that's employed. And so what you're asking for is people have a certain level of, of um, capability as far as technology and, and knowledge and instrumentation control that maybe the pay scales haven't quite reached there yet. And so you're still expecting to pay relatively low wages for what is a really important um, job And so we haven't seen, that's why I think we're challenged. So I think there's a couple of things. Number one, attracting people to the industry, Mm -hmm. running wastewater plants, and also the training that's been available. So how do you get trained? How do you learn? How do you you get up to speed and, and kind of form a career within the wastewater industry?
2: Yeah, absolutely, and I know that it's similar. Um, you know, we have a stormwater magazine, we have a drinking water magazine, and we hear similar sentiments all across. So it seems like the water industry as a whole is is facing many workforce cha- and funding challenges too. So, <laughs> um, and you mentioned technology briefly, and one of my questions I wanted to ask: We have been, you know, getting an influx of press releases and story ideas on how some, you know, water companies and facilities are turning to AI. Do you see AI impacting small systems at all coming up?
3: We haven't yet mm-hmm. uh, necessarily seen on the, from that standpoint at this point in time. Of course, the technology is ever increasing, and so hey, it's you know running a plant from your smartphone or running a plant. From, I mean, it's 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 increased to the point that allows a lot of flexibility as far as operations. But uh, we haven't necessarily seen in, in projects I'm on involved with you know AI being a, a major player yet.
2: And do you think that is coming? Do you think that's going to happen in the future? Yes, of course.
3: I think we, we all, I mean, from that standpoint, you know, there's just more of that. And I, I think the industry needs it from that standpoint. I mean, it's, it's a balance of things, right? You have to balance the fact we have a, a, a short labor pool. You know, we have mm-hmm. to do more. And I think as we're, you know, as far as it's, as long as it's safe and secure, yeah, safe and secure, I think right. there's more opportunities out there.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that is one of the things with AI, too, right, is that it has this pros and cons, because sure, it can be helpful, but then that safety and security aspect, you have to make sure that that's there as well. So I feel like it's, there's still a lot to work through with it, but it definitely can be helpful in in various projects in certain ways. I agree. And you mentioned that you're currently doing work with a smaller community, a smaller system. Are there any projects or other work you're doing that you think would be helpful for our audience to know about?
3: Sure, we have a couple of, um, I would say, cutting-edge projects that we're doing. We have a, mm-hmm. uh, a project that we're currently doing that a lot of times the easiest way when you're doing a wastewater project is to go discharge into a, uh, a river or a stream or the ocean. There are a lot of communities that don't have the ability to do that. And mm-hmm. so uh, one of the communities we're working on right now that finishing up a project is uh, we're employing I would say it's it's not drip irrigation because it's done so, we'll treat the wastewater, but instead of discharging it into a water body, we're pressurizing it and, and and kind of putting it in the ground on a very large scale. And so first of the kind in the state of Maine that I'm working in right now. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so it's a, I think it's a, everyone's watching it very closely because I think it has some real applications for a lot of communities. Sure. And so um, that don't have the ability to, to discharge it in a normal way. And so we're hoping it's very cost effective and, um, uh, and, and that more can kind of follow suit in doing something like that. So we're always looking for, you know, I'm in a rural state and so we have a lot of mm-hmm. challenges in a rural state as far as, you know, small systems and um, don't have the resources. And so we're always trying to be very creative as far as, you know, use what we have you know, um, and to be able to apply it in ways that are cost-effective for people.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And so when you go into a project like this, like you're saying that you have fewer resources, what does that planning process look like on your end when you're going into a small system to, to help them?
3: Well, it's it's always important as far as doing what they can afford, right? So yeah. it's always, and that's the, um, you know, it's like it, that sometimes you have to, in a parallel path, what can they afford? And what, what can, it's not to say you're doing something less effective but Mm -hmm. as far as you know what's their affordability as far as doing it and so we use you know our selection of technology accordingly and so based on what they can afford the other thing is what they're comfortable with you know a lot of people become you know something that's new it's like does somebody want to be the first one trying something Mm -hmm. lots of times communities are saying you know we just we don't want to be the early adopter. We'd right. rather have so something want to be the, than, the guinea pig. <laughs> right, a little bit more tried and true. And so, so we really try with every community. We spend at least a year on the planning process, the educating the community. A lot of community forums, a lot of discussions, answering a lot of questions, just to make sure as we push forward that it isn't something that they've got reservations with. So a lot of public process in all of our work
2: yeah, and are you getting a lot of community engagement when you do things like that? Absolutely. Oh good.
3: Yeah, we have like I, I would say, we had a community that we went to and we're doing a project, and uh, they had, I think fifty people turn out for their town meeting. and they had one hundred and fifty people turn out to our discussion about the work that we were doing.
2: Oh, great. So <laughs> it
3: just goes to show like, hey, it's people are interested. And, right uh, and and you know very involved and a lot of things we're talking about is right it's 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 the environment and the people have such a I wouldn't say they're not as involved with all aspects of town government but when it comes mm-hmm. to where they live and their environment absolutely uh, people want to be engaged.
2: Yeah, definitely. Uh, well, Brent, one of my last questions for you. This is a One Water podcast, right? And so we talk about how wastewater affects drinking water, affects stormwater. They're all kind of, you know, intertwined in this water cycle. So, how are you seeing increase in storm intensity and frequency? How is that impacting small systems? If if it is,
3: uh, it's incredible. I mean, what we have seen. I'll I'll say what I have seen this year is uh, specifically is. You know, the, the storms we've had have been overwhelming. This has been an mm-hmm. incredible year. And, um, you know, it's uh, public works departments across the nation have got to be overwhelmed with what mm-hmm. they're seeing. And uh, so, and it's it's a challenge, you know, in, in all aspects of it. Stormwater, if you weren't paying attention to stormwater before, you should be paying attention now. <laughs> all things are related. And I think what we're seeing is that the the lack of really great stormwater systems throughout the country has really, you know, this year has really come to say like we've been paying such little attention to our stormwater systems, we've really felt the pain this year, you know, overwhelming the rest of the infrastructure because of a lack of capacity and maintenance, and so absolutely connected. I think that, but I think that you need that kind of thing to create awareness from people to be absolutely. able to say investing and. In, we have a community we're working with right now that has probably not paid as much attention to it, but mm-hmm. um, because of what's happened to them over the last couple of years, are investing millions of dollars in their stormwater system because they just know it's they have to, you know, for a variety yeah. of reasons. And it's like, so I guess it's it's creating the awareness we all need to make that investment in stormwater
2: yeah definitely and like you said and we said before it's all connected right so you've got to put the infrastructure in place to to make sure it all functions together
3: and i'll say like the, the one close. so when you talk about wastewater systems what we're finding is you know a lot of time you know we have some pumps and other things that are infiltrating sewer systems sure. and what we're finding is there's no effective stormwater system in order to discharge anything and so it's all so related so it's going to go into the sewer Unless you have some other thing to do, and and so many communities have underinvested in their stormwater infrastructure, and I think they're seeing the value of that now to say, hey, it's it's just as important. It's just as important as our sewer system, Mm -hmm. and uh, that's for us. That's good to have that kind of recognition.
2: Yeah, definitely. And I, and I know our stormwater listeners will appreciate that recognition, too.
3: <laughs> you're, on equal, you're on equal par. You absolutely are. You haven't <laughs> yeah. been for a while. But I think this has been, I mean, with these, these storm events have been just incredible to manage throughout the country. And I think that it's, it's, so the good news is with that kind of thing comes an awareness that, and an investment. And I think it's just not people thinking about it. It's actually people investing in the infrastructure that they need to, which is mm-hmm. um, great for us to see.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Well, Brent, you have answered all of my questions, but are there any final points or any other thoughts you'd like to share before I let you get back to your day?
3: I don't think so. And thanks for the time. I think this is a really important um, discussion to talk about uh, whether it's small systems and the impact that it has and in being creative as far as, you know, making sure there's more wastewater treatment. And I love the, the connection on the stormwater that you pushed Though I think that is one thing that is just, we need to continue to do more and more and I also think that we can maybe, by investing a little more in stone water, maybe attract you know more people to the industry sure. by connecting all those dots a little bit to make mm-hmm. it a more of a uh, you know a um, uh, more of a holistic approach to things. I think might attract some people that may not be in the industry, so it should be good for us overall. Sure,
2: absolutely, yeah. A holistic approach is is going to be beneficial, I think. So. <laughs> Well, Brent, thank you so much for taking the time today. I really appreciate it.
3: Katie, thank you for having
2: me. Yeah, have a great rest of your day. All right. Thank you so much, Brent, for that interview. We covered a lot of ground uh, that I know our listeners will be interested in. So thank you again. Um, And to wrap up our episode, we're going to do a little housekeeping. So Bob, over to you.
1: Yeah, for WWD, we are actually hosting a webinar in September for collection systems, specifically on inspection and rehabilitation. Derek Schwenke, an expert from Garver and the co-chair of the Water Environment Association of Texas Collection Systems State-Level Technical Committee, will be sharing some best practices, available technologies, and more. To learn more about this webinar and to register, visit wwdmagcom webinars. Also, make sure to visit our youtube channel youtube.com slash at symbol wastewater digest we have been posting weekly videos there that have been gaining a lot of good traction and i would love for you to go there watch a couple videos and if you like them subscribe
0: the september october print issue of waterworld will be out soon subscribe if you haven't already also on an upcoming episode of the podcast we'll be talking about cloud seeding and for
2: Stormwater Solutions, we have a few housekeeping items. First, you can still submit nominations to our 2023 top projects. To do so, visit bit.ly slash top 23. The deadline for those is August 29th, so go ahead and submit as soon as you can. Second, in about 10 days, we will be hosting StormCon in Dallas, Texas. The show takes place from August 29th to the 31st, and exclusive to this podcast is a 10% registration discount. Visit bit.ly slash stormconreg 2023 and use the code 1WATER10, all caps, to get 10% off your registration for the show. We'll also put a link in the show notes. And finally, if you love stormwater, make sure to check out the Stormwater World podcast. It's a casual yet informative podcast that covers all things stormwater. You can listen to it anywhere you listen to podcasts, watch it on YouTube, or check it out at stormwaterworld.com. And with that, don't forget to like, subscribe, share on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, and Spotify. You can also reach us at TalkingUnderwater at EndeavorB2B.com to share your thoughts. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter at TUW Podcast. Thanks so much for listening.